This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson, and today joining us is CJ Bergman, who is uh, planting a church uh, in San Francisco in the heart of this city called Citizens. And uh, actually, the church is quite planted. Uh, it's a lovely collection of the saints, uh, both growing in their love for one another and growing in their love for their neighbors. And CJ, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, man. Before we dive in today, I wanted us to continue in our series on uh, what's essential for an MC. And we're going to talk about uh, healing for our souls and for our hearts as something that's essential to long for in a missional community. But before we do that, CJ, maybe you can give us a frame of reference for what your life is like, what making disciples looks like for you and your family uh, on a regular basis in this current season. Yeah, sure. We've been in San Francisco for six years. We planted citizens about three and a half, almost four years ago. And so we obviously live in a a city, very urban core environment here uh, where we sort of live at the crossroads of extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Very few people that profess to follow Jesus or follow Jesus in San Francisco. Um, And so, you know, we don't have critical mass of Christians. We're not really living inside of a Christian culture. We're, we're in a very uh, secular uh, context. And so a lot of just slow life on life, building relationships with our neighbors, coworkers, friends, business owners in local neighborhoods, a lot of little micro neighborhoods in the city of San Francisco. We're in the Richmond neighborhood, which is just north of Golden Gate Park. Uh, a lot of our families are in the sunset, which is south of Golden Gate Park. So sort of like a middle ground for us is the Haight-Ashbury Golden Gate Park area. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, we have three missional families right now. Those are our missional communities. We refer to them as missional families yeah. uh, gathering, you know, several times a month to be together, disciple each other, uh, disciples making disciples with an express desire to reach the person who is an atheist, uh, adamantly opposed to the gospel, typically hates God, the Bible Christians, uh, and the person. So trying to reach those folks and then the folks that, uh, we made friends with that are living outside a lot of, a lot of poverty, a lot of houselessness right around our neighborhood. So yeah, we're just really trying to live, live a faithfulness to the gospel and just really wait on the Lord, Lord of the harvest to, bring conversion, bring decisions to follow Jesus slowly over the next 30, 40 years. Yeah. (laughs) We're in it to win it, man. Here for the long haul. Yeah. I was actually thinking about you the other day. (laughs) Yeah. And your son uh, with the Golden State Warriors. Yeah. Champion. You mean, are you talking about the NBA champions? The NBA champion warriors. That's right. The the sweeping Golden State Warriors. Only because only because LeBron had a broken hand, though. You that's can't right. that's, <laughs> that's that's exactly a totally right. legitimate excuse. That's his excuse. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I was thinking about you guys because you're way more committed to that city than the Steph Curry's or the Kevin Durant's on the team. Oh, that's ridiculous. That's that's yeah. so that's so untrue. 
No. <laughs> I mean, maybe, you know, they financially are offering a lot more than you, you guys are. That's true. <laughs> yeah, they, they're more committed in that regard. Right. But I, I've heard you and Renee talk about that sort of 30, 40 year commitment, yeah. uh, which I think is lost on our world and our generation mm-hmm. and even in pastoral vocation. Yeah, like, I agree. Yeah. And you guys are in it for like a long obedience in the same direction. Yeah. That's the idea. I mean, that's where we are at the moment and feel like strong and that God keeps affirming that. Yeah. Uh, confirming that, but we have to bring the city to the altar to make mm-hmm. sure that we're not making an idol out of our, desire to be here too. Right. Which the Lord has a way of like working that out too. So, but yeah, right. in a, in a in sense of like the desire of our own heart, uh, we want to, we want to be here for a long time and be able to experience fruitfulness. Yeah. And then even to recognize just the incredible power that of the, the Holy spirit and of God to convict and bring about revival in our cities. Yeah that far surpasses even like all your gifts and you're a very gifted person. Renee is super gifted. Your teammates, your church are filled with gifted people, but it really will be like the, like God bringing revival in your city. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I love that like San Francisco is one of those places that makes you see that. I think mm. uh, there are probably ways that you can trick yourself into thinking, well, maybe if I'm gifted enough, we'll make a big change, but yeah. That's the temptation. Yeah. In San Francisco, though, it's kind of clear. You know, you guys have been there for, what, six years? Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to need, like, long obedience and, like, God to, to, to like, bring his people into repentance and faith. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I literally know of one person who has come to know Jesus in the city, uh, a guy that I was able to lead to the Lord here a couple of years ago, hmm. but by the time he met me, there had been this other neighbor of his who'd been sharing the gospel with him for like 10 years. Wow. And so I like, I got to pick the fruit of somebody else's labor. So it wasn't even like I got to watch somebody hmm. go all the way from, you know, being antithetical to the gospel. Like this young man was already really seeking out the spirit was already really drawing him. And so, um, I don't even like, I don't even look at that and go, yeah, we just need, you know, a bunch more of those. (laughs) um, Yeah, man. So, and I think we're, we're doing a lot of seed planting that probably somebody else is going to fertilize and reap the harvest of. So Lord willing, but yeah, it's hundred percent. If, I mean, even if in the first couple of years of our plant, I had ideas about thinking this is how we will bear fruit. Mm. Those are, those are gone. Like I'm done. (laughs) I'm all done uh, with any of my own presuppositions and i'm now just like at the mercy of the spirit yeah which is probably like there's some pain there of like god kind of cutting that into you but also i think that that's such a beautiful reality that every believer finds themselves in yeah yeah that's the true state we're all in it's just a matter of do we recognize that and feel it right so, yeah, I think what maybe what you're saying is like in a place like San Francisco, you kind of can't avoid that feeling for very long. You're going to feel pretty fast, man, my gifts, my talents, my energy isn't enough. Right. Which is so beautiful 
that and and it is God's grace and we we definitely yeah can all pray together as God's children for for more of those uh realities more more children coming into yeah uh, the family of God certainly yeah and I love that you guys describe your missional communities as missional families do you mind giving us just like you know your two minute spiel about why do you call them that instead of missional communities cuz I always love those sorts of, you know, insights. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can be a bit contrary and sometimes, or like personality wise, like need to stand out among the crowd. Right. Yeah. Um, my Enneagram will tell you that story pretty fast. <laughs> so that there's that, let me just own that for a second. Um, but then I think probably just seeing that the word community is used so often, um, both inside and outside of the church to Mm -hmm. describe people gathering together uh, to where it can become this arbitrary term that we don't quite know what that means in San Francisco. What we wanted to do is distinguish our community from any other like friend group or coworker group or affinity group Mm -hmm. that you join, like I'm in community with the people that I go cycling with or that I, you know, volunteer with or whatever. And so at the like risk of sounding like a cult, you know, (laughs) we, we just felt like, man, let's use family language because that's sort of what we're doing. That's distinct from the rest of the city. Like we're actually, we're trying to do kingdom homemaking. Yeah. Take people who are, who are not at home, who are, uh, estranged in their relationships with their family. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I think the opportunity to redeem family and let people experience like, well, what does it mean for us to be family? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause that word striking, you say like, oh, I want to be family with you. Well, let's say someone has like a terrible family experience, which many do in San Francisco. There's a lot of running away from family of origin to come here. And so it's a chance to say like, well, what do you mean? You guys have missional families. Like, well, we're trying to be family to each other and redeem what that word even means. Uh, So it's been a great, I think it's been like a great salt and light thing for us to use that language. And I, we try, we use them interchangeably a lot, especially because of talking with various people within the Soma family of churches so that people know what we mean. You know, that we do mean missional communities, but we do particularly call them missional families. I, I love the name. And so, yeah, thanks for humoring me. And I, and I hope that people are even encouraged to think creatively and contextually where they are for how they want to describe, uh, yeah, the, the, the forming of, of disciples and this yeah. discipleship environment that's, you know, for the disciples and their spiritual growth and their growth for loving one another, but also that outward looking of towards mission. Yeah. And I think missional family is, counter to the culture and counter to our language. I think that's awesome. And I think it guards too. like, we want to guard against like just grabbing onto a model, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it helps us to exegete our own city or our own town or, or whatever, our own context and contextualize this stuff for own people. So we don't just sort of adopt like, yeah, we do missional communities and we do DNAs and family certain missionaries. And we, and that we just sort of go on autopilot with our terminology we don't actually take the time to like tease that out for ourselves and go, what do we mean when we say missional community? Yeah. I love that. Taking even that, that 
not just a model uh, and this family yeah. reality. Uh, one of the things that, yeah, wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about is just how we care for our own hearts, our own souls. Uh, how yeah. do we even come to uh, our own missional families expecting uh, and even hoping that within the context of those relationships and through what God might do and even uh, lead us towards a place of healing in our own hearts uh, as yeah. a, as just a, a worthwhile, like prayerful expectation. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you were in our church here in Los Angeles about a month ago, almost exactly. Yeah. Uh, sharing with our church about this topic and yeah, I guess even just to start it off, um, it seems to me that often the, the people that are attracted to sort of missional living are people that like to disregard their own hearts. Uh, and just sort of be like, why don't we just, you know, get with it, bro, and just work hard and reach people. What has been your experience, I guess, in kind of seeing the, the need for emotional, mental health healing? Yeah, I mean, gosh, where to start, you know, uh, on all this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it matters a lot, you know. Um, I think to ask the question, what will you be like someday when you're in eternity with the father and present with Jesus and the spirit? What will your heart look like, mm-hmm. man? And just start there and say, man, we're going to have a new mind, a new body, a new heart, a glory. We'll be on a glorified state where we have zero barriers of intimacy between us and the father. Then we have to ask the question, like how much of that future kingdom do I have access to now? Um, what what does Jesus want to do in my life? What does he want to accomplish in my life today? Um, and I think a lot. I, I, like, I think he wants us to be increasingly uh, experiencing more and more of what that will be like uh, when we spend that time in eternity. And so, yeah, as Christians, man, we especially people, you know, those of us who are in leadership, pastoring churches, leading churches, whether you're an elder, lay elder, deacons, deaconesses, um, people on full-time staff, and then, and then, you know, missional community leaders, DNA leaders, small group leaders, those kinds of things. You're there because you have an energy, um, a call, and uh, you have gifting and, and you want to, you want to do work for the kingdom. And so, Usually you're, you're eager and you are, um, you're wanting to build the kingdom, right? And so you are applying that energy and you're trying to be efficient and, uh, you know, help people to walk closer with Jesus. And so sometimes we can be doing that stuff. Meanwhile, our own heart is not healed and not whole. Um, and in fact, the the whatever we're doing and how we're doing it can actually be the symptom of that lack of healing and wholeness to where I'm not healed and I'm not whole and I have brokenness in me. And that very brokenness is like helping drive me to do all these mm-hmm. tasks or lead the way I'm leading or build the thing I want to build without any sense of like, man, you're, you're sort of building that in your own strength or in your own flesh. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite uh, is Christian psychologists, name is Dan Allender. Uh, if you've read him or, or listened to him, but he talks about how everybody that's in ministry has some sort of 
um, score to settle. So we're doing like this score settling. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so the question is like, where, where did you get your energy to do what you're doing and why? Um, I think when we have energy, we assume it's positive energy and it's from Jesus and we should just like, you know, run sprint forward with that energy into the work of the ministry. Yeah. Sometimes our brokenness is actually the very thing fueling us Mm -hmm. to do what we say Jesus is calling us to do. Right. But the Lord is kind. And so what he does is like, let us go for a little while and then he'll, he'll use some sort of alarm system to let us know like, no man, you're not okay. (laughs) Burnout behaving badly, start behaving badly to people around us. Uh, We start having like chest pain, anxiety attacks, some sort of physical, you know, manifestation or behavioral um, or just some existential crisis will come that we didn't plan. And all of a sudden it'll be, it'll be clear, clearer to others and to ourselves. Like, man, we got work to do. Yeah. Yeah, what you're saying is is so true. I think even in the the life of of most disciples, especially if you've grown up in the church, even in high school it starts being that yeah. way of like just, you know, it doesn't matter what motivation is there, what's driving you, just like keep putting forward that energy and that hard work and kind of ignore mm-hmm. your feelings or or stamp some truth statement onto it and just move forward. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things we become experts in is um, repentance, but not really experts in coming to Jesus saying, if you will, heal me, you know, um, or like the the leopards that, or <laughs> the people with leprosy, not the leopard animals, uh, people with leprosy that come to Jesus and say, if you have the desire, if you want to, I know you're able, can you heal me? Yeah, make me well. Uh and I think that we don't really do that half of it. Um, and we don't even know where to seek that from Jesus, but we do know how to like, what I'm not believing, what I'm believing isn't true. So repent and believe. Yeah. I don't know. Could you speak to to that? That's not a very good question to, to ask you, but yeah. uh, how do we, how do we bridge that gap? And what are some of the, I don't know, essential things when, when you do hit the wall, when your body does begin to yeah. show symptoms, when you act poorly, like how do you then reconcile uh, the brokenness within? Well, I'll speak for myself, you know, and just kind of like how God has been doing this in my life. I mean, I, I did grow up in the church predominantly in an environment where emotions were, you know, people mm-hmm. were scared of them. They didn't know how to talk about them or receive emotions. Like my negative emotions made my church leaders feel out of control, mm-hmm. right? And so they needed me to stop <laughs> uh, having my negative emotions affect them badly. And so their solution was to like, give me anecdotes from yeah. the Bible. You know, you need to trust God more. You need to have more faith. You need to re- read your Bible more. Uh, new laws, new practices, those kinds of things. Um, and so I, that was that was what I received growing up. And so then for a long time in ministry, that's how I led people. And I would usually, I would give them something to do like a task or just like a, some sort of Christian platitude. And then usually what I would try to do is like direct us towards their sin 
and figure out how they were sinning, sinning and then using using repentance as sort of like the magic pill, right? Of like, if I can get them to repent right. of something, then uh, we've, you know, functionally sidestepped their negative emotions and given them something to do or, and they can repent and then they can feel good about that. And then mm-hmm. I can feel good about that and say, man, I'm just really good at bringing people to repentance, <laughs> man. You know, they just, I'm good at humbling people. So for me, I mean, I was forced into all of this stuff when my son passed away um, nine years ago. And that's when, that's when I just was wrecked um, emotionally and there was no more pretending. There was no more sort of like setting things aside and just sort of like mind over matter anymore. Um, and then I just, I began like doing a, a ton of therapy reading the scriptures in a new way, looking for Jesus in a new way, asking him to heal me. Like, can you please help me want to mm. live today? And and can you help my wife, you know, uh, not be suicidal? Those kinds of, you know, so you, when you're in that kind of dark night yeah. of the soul place. And so, man, for me, I, I did start to think like, okay, how did like, mm. how did we get here? You know, like how did the church stop being like a place mm-hmm. for the unwell, a safe place for the unwell people. And I'm still answering that question. You know, I'm still trying to figure that out. But in terms of, in terms of resources, I would say the first thing is like, pay attention to what mm-hmm. your body's telling you. Like what's going on. If you're listening, what's going on in your life that you can't control right now? Like what emotion or what experience regularly or temptation to sin is happening that God's trying to use to get your attention. Um, or maybe just you're hitting a ceiling in your mm-hmm. intimacy with the father where you're like, you're in ministry or you're, you're trying to help others and, and really down deep down in your heart, you don't right. care anymore. And like, don't even really know if you believe this stuff. Um, that's your, like, <laughs> this is your moment. This is, your chance. and the first, the first thing is saying, dude, I'm not okay. Yeah. And putting yourself in a position of vulnerability that all those people, all the people that were seeking out Jesus for healing were at the complete end of their rope. Yeah. So lepers, they aren't, they don't clean themselves up and then go to Jesus and ask for healing. Mm-hmm. Right. They're missing limbs. Yeah. So they, to go to receive Jesus from healing is like to, to invite uh, public humbling. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's where Jesus is. He's in public. Right. These people aren't like coming to Jesus privately in the night so that he can heal them without them having to be seen by other people. Right. But that's what you and me want. That's what we want. Yeah. We want to go, we want to go like Nicodemus to Jesus in secret and have him heal us. Right. And man, the pathway to healing seems to be publicly saying, I'm not okay. Yeah. What must I do to be healed? Yeah. And then from that, that public place, uh, you know, that just, conjures up for me. Yeah. Many images of my own story where I've, where I've said that, you know, like something's wrong with me. Uh, something's wrong with my, with my heart, with my insides. I know everything that I'm supposed to believe, but I don't, uh, feel like there's this huge disconnect between what, what, what my brain thinks, uh, and what, and I just can't be driven by the same things I have been anymore. And then I think from that public place, uh, it's kind of scary, though, 
like what happens next. Maybe you could speak to CJ, not for everyone's story, but just maybe for you, like from that public, you know, appeal uh, to Jesus for healing. Like, yeah. I don't know, for me, at least it's really surprising how God heals people mm-hmm. and how God allows people to even remain in things um, mm-hmm. yet is with them and is their comforter. How have you seen like the spirit and the church and even things outside the systems of the church bring about the kingdom of God, that future reality into the present? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I mean, I have a, I have a tremendous compassion, you know, for anybody that's in a place where they, they know they're unwell and they don't feel like they know how to say or where to say that that's going mm-hmm. on. Especially if you're in ministry, if you're in full-time ministry, it can be an isolating thing. You know, for me, you know, I had, I had a, a built-in reason to not be okay. I, no one expected me to be okay after Titus died, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I was given a permission that most people don't have, yeah. you know? And so, and I think just in your own prayer life, in your own heart, what you need to be doing is going to the spirit and saying, Holy spirit, you want to make me well more than anybody. I give you permission to out me yeah. one way or the other. That's a scary thing to invite the spirit to do. Mm-hmm. Right. But he will do it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> If you're saying, man, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Can you do something? Can you accomplish something in me and through me that I don't know how to, you know, do myself? Um, And then, man, start small. Start with your, start with your inner three. Mm -hmm. You know, start with Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, I'm not well. Yeah. Have you guys noticed that? Have you noticed I'm not well? Mm. And then go to the twelve. Go to your missional family. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, I'm not doing very well. I told Peter, James, and John, they know already. Have you guys noticed that? Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then building it as a lifestyle to your your people, you know, just, man, you, your people, your people are unwell. <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be excited to hear that the their leader who they probably have on a pedestal is also struggling with a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and man, if they're, if they're not okay with that, they might leave your church. Mm-hmm. See ya. <laughs> Love ya. Blessings yeah. on you. This is a place for unwell people, including the pastor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, man, I know it's not like an awesome answer. That but is an awesome answer. I think that's, that's, a, that's the answer I can think of. Right now. <laughs> I think that's a phenomenal answer because I, yeah, I, I don't think you can give the answer of like, well, step one, take the Enneagram step two, you know, right. <laughs> yeah, read emotionally yeah, healthy, totally. you know, spirituality. Yeah. Those are also good things. I mean, I have a, I have a list of books here in case that comes up of you should read all these books, <laughs> do your Enneagram and you should yeah. get counseling for sure. I mean, those are all things I think you should do. Because, man, if you go, I'm a pastor and I don't have Peter, yeah. James, and John. Okay, well, then you're going to need to hire a therapist or a right. spiritual director. Or right. if you're a part of like a network of churches, like another pastor from another church, something yeah. like that. Yeah, you need something like that, some sort of mechanism. Yeah. Some relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that you said that just to circle back to, and then I'll let you give us your list of books 
and resources. Uh, how does, cause you said creating a safe place where people can be unwell. Uh, what can like a leader of a missional community do to create or at least cultivate that environment where it's okay to not be well? Yeah. Um, they're going to have to make the first move, right? They're going to have to like mm-hmm. set that culture. It's going to have to be birthed out of their own self. And then probably like a handful of two to three core members, which, you know, we talk about this just with me, think about missional communities. You need a core of at least three to four, you know, members of the missional community that are a little further along in their discipleship, you know, and a a little further along in their commitment to each other and to the, to the ministry. And so those folks are going to have to powwow a little bit with each other and say, man, this is of value to us. And as we talk about in the context of your series, like what do we value in missional communities? If you and your leadership core aren't valuing, how do we make this a safe place for ourselves really vulnerable and honest, um, then you're not going to create that for other people. And if you're not valuing it, um, and what you are valuing is like mission work, you know, like we're going to do this, this is going to be our mission. We're going to dude, we're going to fire it up. We got a bunch of people that are stoked and full of energy and we're going to kill it in this area. You're doing all that. And you're going, man, we're going to serve the poor together. We're going to do that. We're going to build community. We're going to do hospitality, man. We're going to do all that stuff. And you've neglected, um, your heart, um, Hmm. Man, number one, you're not walking in step with the gospel and the scriptures. I mean, foundational, the, yeah. the scripture that you guys gave me um, when I was in LA was Proverbs 4, 20 through 23, which is like an ma- amazing text. Um, my son, be attentive to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, let them not escape from your sight, keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. And then he says, Keep yeah. your heart with all vigilance, vigilance, sorry. And and then many translations will say, keep watch over your heart mm-hmm. for from it flow the springs of life, right? Mm-hmm. What spring of life does mission and community and serving like come out of for your missional community? What's the wellspring? Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say this is that wellspring, you know, um, I've got a a buddy, uh, I was just meeting with him this morning, a bud, he's in my DNA group and in my missional community. He was just hanging out with another guy in our church. who's struggling with anxiety, like a serious anxiety disorder. And while he was with that friend, it made him realize, I think I have anxiety. Like, I think I'm having some panic attacks. Um, I think I, this isn't good. And so he's sharing that with me this morning. And I'm saying to him, he's going, man, what should I do? And I'm saying, man, we need to talk about that at Missional Family this Sunday. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's a leader. He, he's like somebody that I'm grooming to be a leader so that he can multiply out of our missional community. And I'm saying, hey, man you know, cause he's talking about, well, the cost of it and seeing somebody and, you know, they're him and his wife are about to have a baby and all these things. I'm like, well, listen, man, that needs to be a non-barrier because you're a family of people that care about you. Yeah. And we need to know like what that cost looks like. And we need to come around you and say, man, we care too much about this brother. 
to let him remain unwell. Totally. So, but that's, that's top down. Like that's me telling him, not only do you have permission to bring this into the space, I want you to bring this into the space and I'll walk alongside you. Right. And I'm not like nervous about him not being okay. I'm just like, man, I'm really sorry you're in this place right now. Yeah. And that's such a, I mean, several things you said there, but just to highlight the, the reality of a, of a community caring, I think often we, you know, might bring like our need of like medical bills or, uh, you know, insurance problems or whatever to our community and say, Hey, can you please pray for me? Can you please like labor alongside me? Like I don't have enough of these resources to like, to manage. And we celebrate that. We're like, yeah, we're like loving our, our friends who, who don't have, you know, their full budgets or whatnot. Yeah. But the, the power of people coming and saying, yeah, I also need to go see a counselor. Can you help me pay for that too? Yeah. It's such a boldness and such like a faith that even displays to a community of like, yeah, we can't just like put our heads together and solve, you know, Joe's, uh, anxiety or depression or grief, you know, yeah. like we can't just like, Oh, like let's strategize this thing. Like we do our missional community barbecues or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, I think that's like, so, so beautiful. And then to, to celebrate. Yeah. Often the pattern has been like, Oh no, this leader's not doing really well. Let's like hide that because if people think that the leader's not doing well, then maybe like God doesn't work to like fix our world. Yeah. But really, it's like it's it's faith that says, like, no, I believe like God cares about our whole person, not just our doctrine yeah, or our hands. I think a lot of this gets at what makes a missional community a healthy, good, God honoring, worth it missional community to be a part of. And then also, like, what makes a leader the kind of leader that can lead people? Mm-hmm. Like, what is a gospel shepherd? Yeah. And, and what are we measuring? What's our measuring stick for gospel shepherding? What do we value in that? And I'll tell you, for me as citizens, I value vulnerability, transparency, truth telling, and a willingness to receive help and care Mm. as a high value for leadership. Man, if you can be vulnerable and teachable and open uh, in your DNA, then you probably make a great missional community leader yeah. of others. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're just like, man, I'm a really good Bible teacher or I'm really good at mobilizing people mm-hmm. or we throw great parties or whatever, um, or you're strong, strong driven personality, type A personality, people are drawn to you, you're charismatic, mm-hmm. but you're not a person that keeps watch over their own soul. Mm-hmm. You're not a leader. And dude, <laughs> that's swimming upstream, right? Like that's rowing against the tide, right? That's a pet peeve. You know, that's a, I can get on that soapbox pretty fast when I'm talking about like leadership and churches and those kind of things. So, yeah. Yeah. This podcast mostly is catalyzing a conversation that we hope happens on living rooms and uh, at dinner tables, husbands and wives and friends and roommates. So what are some resources people could dig deeper into? Yeah. I'll just name like for me personally, um, prodigal God by Tim Keller is sort of just like gospel foundation, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think with all this conversation, a lot of people ask me like, man, where's the Bible in this? Is this just like 
pop psychology. It's like, no, the Bible is central to any healing. So we're, we're, we're not looking to replace God's word. And so, um, I love that. I love that text just because it's a great, just like exposition of a a common and well-known text. Um, Mm -hmm. but then you mentioned earlier, the emotionally healthy church. I haven't read emotionally healthy spirituality, but the emotionally healthy church by Pete Scazzaro. So good. Really, really good. About a, a pastor who basically failed to pay attention to his own emotions. Yeah. And almost lost his whole church and his wife in the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that dude like woke up and was like, okay. <laughs> and so I regularly reference him. And I think in particular, he has a chapter in there called Receiving the Gift of Limits that I think yeah. comes up a lot in our staff culture and in our leadership culture of like, what are we doing? What are we, dr- what's driving us? And what, man, God's given us a gift of a limitation. And are we paying attention to that? There's an emotional health inventory that you can use for DNAs. And I think yeah. I think spouses should go through those inventories together. Um, you do that emotional health inventory and it'll be really revealing really fast. <laughs> so buckle up if you're going to do that one. Yeah, Desiring the Kingdom by James K. Smith. Hmm. We'll talk a lot about how our bodies are designed to be liturgical animals and not simply thinking and believing beings. Yeah. That's a pretty, it's a pretty long and heady book. I think he has a, another one called You Are What You Love, which might be a little easier to read. Same kind of stuff in there. But definitely a big problem here for us is this divorce between the mind, the body, and the heart. Yeah. Um, where God created us to be embodied souls. Ed Welch talks about being embodied souls. Yeah. Um, and recognizing that you can't just like think or believe your way out of some of this stuff. Hmm. Man, one of my favorite books, God Attachment. By Tim Clinton. I don't know if you know much about attachment stuff or if anybody on the podcast is reading anything about attachment theory. It's relatively new, like since the 60s. Um, but God attachment takes it like non-Christian attachment theory and sort of brings the gospel to bear on it. Mm. And gosh, you know, just a quick snapshot of attachment is sort of every human being is asking two questions. One, am I worthy of love? Mm. Two, are others capable of loving me? Yeah. And how we answer those two questions deeply shapes all of our relationships yeah. and the way we do life. And those, those patterns of how we answer those questions were set really early in our childhood development. Um, so for me, I'll, like, I struggle to answer yes to that first question. I'll struggle to, to, to believe that I'm actually worthy of love. And so that creates quite a bit of anxiety. I have a little more of an, an anxious attachment style where I'm constantly trying to earn people's love and affirmation because I'm worried that something's fatally flawed inside of me. Mm. And so I'm constantly trying to fight against that. And usually I do it by burning myself out, saying yes to too much mm. and seeking the approval of other people yeah. instead of resting in my approval as a son of, of God. Scott attachment's big. Another book called God Distorted by John Bishop. It's a book about how our earthly father shaped our understanding mm-hmm. of our of our heavenly father um, and how to heal from the wounds of that relationship. So what he does is he kind of goes through several different archetypes of types of fathers we might have had. So you have like the perfectionist mm-hmm. father where like you had to do the right thing all the time. You have a father who is you have the absent father like my dad left or abandoned me. Mm-hmm the passive father. That was the father that didn't abandon you physically, but did abandon you emotionally and relationally. So he was there, but he wasn't available to you. Um, and then, and then of course, abusive father. Um, and then at the end, it just says 
good, but not God. Hmm. So maybe you even had a good dad. Like me, I had a great dad, awesome dad, taught me the scriptures, modeled amazing things about the father to me, but he still wasn't God. Hmm. Um, There was still a moment where like dad had to become brother Hmm. and I needed a new father. Yeah. So really, really helpful book. And then the last one I'll mention is a book called The Body Keeps the Score uh, by Bessel Vanderkock. And Bessel spent years working with victims of PTSD. And his research kind of showed him how trauma is affecting our brains and our bodies. Mm. And like I mentioned before, like our bodies are like alarm systems for our soul, Mm. telling us through stress, anxiety, and sickness that something's not okay. Um, And that we need to stop and pay attention to some deep wound that may be deeply shaping our life in, in ways that we don't know. So man, like maybe you have like back pain, maybe you have chest pain, uh, maybe you have gut issues. Mm-hmm. Like if you have serious dietary issues, um, your body's keeping the score on something. Yeah. Um, what is, what are all those food allergies that gluten intolerance you have? Like, you know, dig a little deeper. <laughs> What's going on? What's going on? How do we get here? Yeah. Oh man, that's so true. Yeah. CJ, thanks so much for sharing so much wisdom and of, of your life here on this this episode. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think it's been so fruitful and good, even just for me. I am the kind of person that has to read like a couple of those books that you just mentioned a year and have it be a yeah. topic of conversation within my own life and my own marriage and within my community, or I just mm. uh, I just don't engage it. And so, Mm. yeah, I'm super thankful for, for this conversation. Yeah, man. Great chatting with you about it. Yeah. And that'll, that concludes this episode of Saturate podcast. We'll uh, include all of the recommendations that CJ made for books and other resources in the show notes. uh, So you can see those and uh, read them and pursue them. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, please share it or give us a rating on whatever app you're using to listen to us so that other people can find us uh, because we believe what we're doing is actually important on this podcast, not because we want to be famous, but because we believe there's a huge need for people to uh, get to look into these sorts of conversations, uh, to be equipped and to be encouraged and uh, challenged uh, to see Uh, the kingdom for all that it can be and uh, to hope and to pray for it to come into our own lives. Uh, Thanks for listening and we'll talk again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.